The plagues had done their work. Pharaoh let the Israelites leave Egypt. And as we shall study, we're going to see that they took the long road. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. Glad to have you here. I preach from the New King James Version of the Bible, and that's what will appear on the screen, so you can follow along if you'd like. <clears throat> Verse 37, Exodus chapter 12. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. Now that is telling us that there was around 600,000 men. They didn't count the women, and they didn't count the children. And so if you had one woman for each man and one child for each of them, you'd have 1.8 million people. And it's more likely that there was more than that. Several million people leave Egypt. When I was a young boy, I was watching TV, and I remember an interview that they did with Charlton Heston, who played Moses in the movie Ten Commandments. And if you watch that or have seen it in the past, you'll recognize the scene where they're leaving Egypt. And it's this large group of people, certainly not two million, but several thousand people, and they've got their families and wagons, and they've got their sheep and stuff like this, and they're on their way out. And it's a pretty amazing scene. And Charlton Heston said in the interview that when they had that scene, the first take, the photographers forgot to put film in their cameras. So they had to bring everybody back, start over again, and they started the exodus over. Now, <clears throat> can you imagine two plus million people moving together through the wilderness? We're going to read about that quite a bit over the next few weeks as their story will become a, a beautiful, fertile place for us to learn life lessons of how to walk with God. The next verse, verse 38, says, <clears throat> A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. So you have 600,000 Israelites plus women and children, and then a large group of people that were not Israelites. They're called a mixed multitude, kind of not defined as to who they are. They're just Egyptians who have said, hey, we're going with you. And they have their livestock, their flocks, and their herds. Now we come to verse 17 of chapter 13. 13 verse 17, it says, Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God chose the long road. The people were not ready to war against the Philistines. They had not yet learned to trust in God. And so God chose for them the long road. <clears throat> 
When we come to verse 18, we read where God took them. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So they went into the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now, when you come to chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, we have a very revealing thing that takes place. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God told Moses what was going to happen. God told Moses to tell the people what was going to happen. So Moses did. Moses said, we're going to go and camp by the sea. Pharaoh will be convinced that we are lost. God will conquer the Egyptian army, and all of us, the Egyptians and us, will know that God is God. So you may have noted that in your Bible reading in the past. Perhaps that's new to you. It's fascinating to me that God told them exactly what was going to happen because when it happens, they act as if they had no idea at all that this was going to take place. Well, let's see what happens. Verses 5 through 9. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? You know, when you fight against God, when you say no, enough against God, it's as if your conscience becomes seared. You no longer have any sense at all. Why did they let them go? Folks, your country's in shambles. It's been ruined. And they're saying, what have we done? And these were the servants that were telling Pharaoh earlier when the plagues were falling down, don't you know our country's ruined? Why don't you let them go? But now that they've gone, they've been fighting God so long, they no longer even have any common sense. Why have we done this that we have let them go? Verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea besides Pi-Haharath before Baal-Zephon. So it happened just like God said that it would. Pharaoh and his servants changed their minds about letting Israel go. 
Pharaoh took 600 of his best chariots, and then he said, ah, let's take them all. So he took all of them. And with his army, he pursues the Israelites and finds them by the sea. Now, have you ever wondered why it is in this story that we keep coming back to this idea that God wants to be honored? God wants to be glorified. <clears throat> Does God have a problem? I mean, is God selfish or something? What is going on with that? Does he not know he's God and there's no one beside him? There's no one to rival him. Why does he say that I might be honored before the Egyptians? Why does he want the Israelites to honor him? Well, we find a clue in verse 8 of this chapter. And this opens a door for us to understand many things regarding God and our relationship with him. Exodus 14 verse 8 says this, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. Now, when you read that they went out with boldness, you're probably thinking, well, boldness means courage, bravery, confidence. In fact, if you've read in the book of Acts in the New Testament, you find the apostles are praying for boldness. They're asking for holy boldness so that with great courage and bravery and confidence, they could preach the Word of God. And God gave them holy boldness. But this boldness is not the same. It looks like it's the same because it's the same English word. However, when you study this passage, when you look at it in different versions of the Bible, it gives you a clue that, hey, something is going on here. This is not the boldness I thought that it was. In the King James Version, it says they went out with a high hand. In the Amplified Version, it says they went out proudly and defiantly. The Hebrew word that is actually used is rum. It's spelled R-U-W-M. So if you play Scrabble and you've got some odd uh, word letters, you can spell that one. R-U-W-M. Rum. Here's what it means in the Hebrew. It means to be high, to rise or raise. It means to exalt self, to be haughty, to be presumptuous, to be promoting of self, to be proud and or to be tall. Now, I'm going to show you a couple incidents in the Old Testament where room is translated, the same word that is translated boldness here is translated another way in some other passages. Let's go to second, oh, keep your hand here because we're coming back. Go to second Samuel 22. David wrote a psalm of thanksgiving to God. And second Samuel 22 is David reciting it before the Lord. When we come to verse 28, we have this expression, 
You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the room, are on the haughty, that you may bring them down. If we go to Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, we look at verse 10. <clears throat> There's a prophecy of judgment that is coming, the day of the Lord. In verse 10 it says, Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. Verse 11, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, the room of men shall be bowed down. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. Verse 17, The loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. Room is translated haughtiness. And that's actually what it means in Exodus chapter 14. Let's go back there. So what does haughty mean? Haughty is a blatant and scornful pride. It is to be scornfully proud. I want to ask you a question. Why does God hate pride in the human heart? Why is pride such a big deal? Now, we're supposed to have self-respect and dignity and things like that, and there is a pride that is healthy, but there is a pride that is not, and God hates it. Is he into himself so much he can't take a rival, someone who thinks highly of themselves? No, not at all. The problem with pride is that pride is self-sufficient. Pride senses no need. Pride does not listen to God. Pride does not need God. And in that frame of mind, God cannot help a person. That's why he hates pride, because God is all about helping us, all about delivering us, all about walking with us, all about blessing us, and he does that to those who sense their need, because if I sense my need, right along with that is humility is a humbleness of spirit. And I cry out to God saying, God, I need you. And that positions me to be blessed by God. But an arrogant, haughty individual doesn't need God. And consequently, their life will be miserable. So what we discover is that the Israelites went out of Egypt with boldness. That means they were defiant, self-exalting, and scornfully proud. Now, how can that be? For hundreds of years, they have been slaves. They've done nothing except what their master's lash has told them to do. They've not written any beautiful music. They've not done any wonderful poetry. They haven't done anything. They've been slaves for hundreds of years. How could they be defiant, self-exalting, and scornfully proud? Now, I want you to listen to what I believe is the answer. 
It is a heady, and somebody asked me after the second service, what does that mean? It means somebody with a big head. They asked me how to spell it, too. H-E-A-D-Y. Big head. All right? It is a heady thing to be called the people of God. They were distinguished from the Egyptians. There were ten plagues. Seven of them fell only on the Egyptians. God said, you're my people. And rather than that bringing humility to them, rather than that bringing thankfulness and appreciation, they began to think they must be special. So God took them the long road. And that long road would take them to a situation where they would see that their deliverance was because of God's grace and it had nothing to do with anything the Israelites had ever done. It had nothing to do with what they believed and it had nothing to do with who they were. Their deliverance would simply and wonderfully be a gift from God done entirely by God. The only way they could be delivered would be to accept God's deliverance. Any other plan, any other method, or any other process would result in their destruction. So God took them down the long road. Well, let's see what happens. Go to verse 10 of chapter 14 of Exodus. <clears throat> and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Why are they acting this way? Well, let me tell you something. One of the key components of being haughty is you don't listen. You simply don't listen. Now, Moses told them what God said, but they didn't listen. Why? They don't need God. There is special people. And it's obvious because of the way he's been blessing them. So they weren't really listening. And Moses, verse 13, said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Verse 14, if it's not underlined in your Bible, underline it. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That means the Lord is going to fight you and you'll be quiet. That's it. You'll be still. You'll be quiet. If we were to put this in a modern phrase, the Lord would be saying, now shut up and watch me go to work. 
The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, that I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now watch what happens. <clears throat> and the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. Why did he do that? Because that's where the Egyptian army is coming from. It says, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud of darkness to the one, that would be the Egyptians. And it gave light by night to the other, that would be the Israelites. So that the one did not come near the other all that night. By the way, let me ask you a question. What have the Israelites done to this point? What have they done? Nothing. Really, the only thing they've done is whined and complained, which seems to be an unbreakable habit for them. And we'll study that down through time. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. That means he confused them. In verse 25 it says, and he took off their chariot wheels. When I was in college, we studied this, and the professor said the wheels were not removed, but the ability to use them was greatly hampered in that the Lord allowed some water to seep back in there, and now it's getting muddy, and they're unable to uh, track very well. It goes on, he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty, and the Egyptian says, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained." But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and a wall to them on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses." The Lord saved Israel, and Israel saw the great work of God's salvation and deliverance. And it says the people feared the Lord, 
and they believed Moses. Now let's remind ourselves of something. The only way the Israelites could be delivered was to accept God's deliverance. Any other plan, any other method, any other process would have resulted in their destruction. They simply put their trust in God's deliverance, and they were delivered. This has ramifications for us. And I'd like to demonstrate that. Please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus is speaking to 11 men in this passage. There were 12 there, but Judas has left. This is the upper room at the Last Supper. The next day, Jesus will die on Calvary for all of us. <clears throat> he says this to his group that's there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to get to God the Father. There is no other way to get to heaven than through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We cannot add anything to that. It's impossible to add anything to that. To attempt to add anything to that would be to deny the deliverance God has given us in Christ. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Our deliverance comes to us through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Look at John chapter 6. Jesus says, most assuredly, oh, sorry, I didn't give you the verse, verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and Verily, verily, of a truth, of a truth, most assuredly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you have everlasting life. Do you believe Jesus? Romans chapter 6, we'll just read it off the screen. Verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation comes to us through Jesus. Salvation comes to us by believing in Jesus. Salvation comes to us as a gift from God. Our deliverance has nothing to do with us. Our deliverance has nothing to do with what we believe. Our deliverance has nothing to do with who we think we are. Our deliverance has nothing to do 
with any of that. There is no plan, no method, no process we can come up with to change God's deliverance. It is His. We either enter into it or we don't. <clears throat> Why is that such a hard concept for people to embrace? Could it be it is a heady thing to be called the people of God? Could it be that going out with boldness for some is actually creating a defiant self-exaltation that is scornfully proud? We are the people of God. Praise God for the long road because as a group and individually he is taking us to a place where we will learn that our deliverance comes to us from God, what God does and has nothing to do with who we are. Do you believe that you are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone? Do you believe you cannot add anything to that? Do you believe that Jesus paid it all? I would like you to turn to the person next to you and say to them, you are paid for. It is in Christ that we find our all and all. It is in Christ that we have our deliverance. It is in Christ that we find a connection with God. It is in Christ that the enemies no longer have anything to do with us. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It is Jesus now. It is Jesus later. It is Jesus for eternity. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. All I can do is accept the gift that God has given me in Jesus Christ. It is all to God's glory. That's why he wants the glory. Because I will recognize I can do nothing to save myself. It is all him. Jesus paid it all. And I'm wondering if there's anyone here today who would like to say, I want him in my heart. I want God's deliverance. I want God's salvation. If you would like to say that, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, we ask Jesus into our hearts. We accept your deliverance. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.